0: Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice and Brad. Sports like no other. Let's get it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, people. The man, the myth, the legend, Coach Brad is back. After last week, my panic-induced episode that I put on YouTube and out in the podcasting world, a call to action for Nebraska Cornhusker Nation to return my new co-host before he could even get his feet wet in this show. So Brad is back, and I want to say, Brad, I'm so thankful that you are back because I have to do 50% less of the work now, but I want to know, how did you escape? Because I have to assume that you were kidnapped by Cornhusker Nation.
1: Iceman, I cannot tell you how happy I am to be back with you here on drippin sports it's been a wild uh, couple of weeks i would say let's call it well weekish we can change so as you know i was at sunday night baseball in st louis for the cardinals and the braves uh it was a wonderful game got a little weather delay drank a lot of free beer and i was using the restroom at one point in time well it's very easy there's a lot of red at a cardinals game and very easy to overlook maybe what the front of that shirt may or may not say especially after you know 10 or 12 adult beverages so i make my way uh to the restroom and i turn around and i see a couple of gentlemen in red shirts and the next thing i know i wake up and i appear to be in a dairy barn that i can only assume is in the state of nebraska And as I sort of regain consciousness at this point, I I see a man in a red shirt who appeared to be possibly churning the butter of one of these said cows. Maybe, maybe not. I just pretended to uh, still be unconscious until he finished whatever it was he was partaking in. Um, And at that point, once I regained consciousness, I was completely shocked to find out that their beef is not that scott frost is terrible and i said scott frost is terrible they unbeknownst to them since they live in the middle of nowhere they thought they were the only ones that knew that and once they realized that the rest of the country um knew how terrible scott frost was uh how he's a fraud and how far he's set nebraska football back I-, I think it got under their skin a little bit and they panicked and how did i get away you ask well I'm sure you've seen the trend on TikTok lately with this young man singing a wonderful song about corn. So at one point in time, they think I'm taking a little nap. I wake up and these guys are making TikTok videos with this corn song. I find a way to sneak out the back door. I won't tell you what I had to do to hitch rides back to Illinois, but I'm happy to be home and happy to be here back on the Drippin Sports.
0: Well, I have so many questions. First of all, I think what you had to do to get back there is probably something you guys will talk about on the Pub Time podcast, which, by the way, you can find wherever it is that you find your podcast. That is where most of that type of talk can happen, and there's no judgment here. So I have a couple of questions. So how was the game, by the way, before we get to your harrowing experience?
1: Uh, the game was fantastic. I, I was, I'm was, i kind of happy that the game got pushed back a little bit because it, it was a hot day, and the storm coming through really cooled things off the sun was down by the time the game started uh you know two good teams that are in playoff contention with the cardinals and the braves and then probably one of the coolest parts as a sports fan is seeing marlin's man Uh, very close to him multiple times Uh, never quite got the opportunity to take part in a photo op Uh, maybe i didn't quite have the courage when the opportunities did present themselves but it was a great game it was cool i got to see uh albert Pujols have a pinch hit at bat in his last season so it's neat to say i saw that and uh the braves the pitcher whose name i cannot recall had a no hitter going through five and you know got broken up by a solo home run and it was a little back and forth and i mean really an exciting ball game so i had a good time up until you know my incident occurred
0: is marlin's man somebody that is known nationally
1: i think to baseball fans absolutely because everybody was kind of he, he he must know fans Across the country, because I watched him bounce around the area I was sitting in and talk to different people as if like he knows them, and I'm assuming a lot of the people that sat in these seats that I was fortunate enough to sit in are probably season ticket holders who sit there all the time, and so I can only assume that he knows some of these people from the times he's been in St. Louis and probably has a handful or more of people he knows across all of baseball. And uh, at one point in time, he was actually with a Cardinals like staff member and uh, handing out baseballs to little kids. I don't know if they were signed by him or players or whatever, but, I mean, he was going around the area I was in and giving baseballs out to kids.
0: I mean, if you're going to have some type of a celebrity and some type of stardom, you might as well do something good with it, which a lot of athletes don't do. Well, look, I'm happy to have you back, and I'm happy that the people at least were somewhat reasonable in why they were upset with you, but by extension, and we should you know, we should cop to this. And I did mention it last week. They're probably upset with us. And why is that? Well, first week of the show, we really did give a lot of shit to Nebraska football. And last week I mentioned how they lost in Ireland. Well, I think if you are a Cornhusker fan today, you're probably feeling, I would guess, marginally better because you beat, what, North Dakota, 38-17, and it was close heading into the fourth quarter. And I'm, you remember the quote that I sent you at one point, and I think it was after the Cornhusker game where the guy said, hey, we played our worst game of the season and we only lost by three. And I was like, bro, that's that's not something you should be you should be talking about. Like a loss is a loss is a loss. Like it doesn't matter how much you lost by or how bad you played. You lost. And that program to me just feels like it's on – it's treading water.
1: No, I agree. And the one thing that has keep, kept popping up in my head is what happens if they beat Oklahoma here? in a couple weeks. <laughs> what happens if by some freak, uh, lining of the stars that they manage to beat Oklahoma, because if that happens, you might as well. I mean that if there's one thing that Scott Frost has going for him, it's that Oklahoma is on the schedule. And if he can find a way to win that football game, it, it, it almost atones for all of his sins up to this point.
0: I'll tell you what, if the, if Oklahoma, if Oklahoma loses to Nebraska, I will invite any Cornhusker fan to come on here and talk some football, and talk some shit in our direction. That is an open invitation that I will make public on Twitter, at Dripping Sports Pod or whatever the I think it's at and Sports. You know I should know that it's right underneath my face right here. So <laughs> um, if you are watching this and you're a Cornhusker fan, we will see you after after that game if they win. But I want to transition to some real football <clears throat> and talk about Week One. First thing I want to talk about: we didn't get to talk about game day last week because. It wasn't really game day and obviously you weren't here but the first iteration of game day was really awkward and i was kind of surprised that they i guess they marketed it as game day because it wasn't the the actual product and this week we got the 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 real product in earnest and um how did you how did you experience it because i was really hyped for it
1: i was super pumped Uh, i think i texted you at one point in time saturday morning i mean it felt like christmas morning just getting up knowing Alright this is the real week one of the football season there was a couple exciting matchups uh, that were gonna take place throughout the day and I mean obviously having the one I was most interested in at the end of the day kind of had that build up throughout the day the game day broadcasts themselves I, I tell you what I almost feel bad I think that ESPN is doing Lee, Lee Corso a disservice at this point uh, by putting him in that position the the man has been a legend he's been an icon he's what has made college game day in a lot of ways he's been a staple of it but at some point in time i I think you need to let him sort of ride off into the sunset before it people it before it tarnishes people's memory of him and and what he really has meant to that program because you know he stumbles over his i mean he's damn near 90 years old I think 87 yeah i mean he he stumbles over his words he's got bad recall and that's just because he's you know, very old, but I, I don't know. I, I'm sure that it's probably what he wants to do, and it's everything else. But I think that if anybody that cares about him should move him along um, for his sake, because I don't think that it's doing him and his legacy any justice by putting you know putting this product, this version of him out there for people to see. And I know that's not the exciting side of game day that maybe we were going for, but it's one of the things that stuck out to me the most. No, Um, but... Throughout the experience.
0: Game day is the best thing that ESPN does, and I will fight anybody that disagrees because I just think as far as live entertainment and live shows, it's the most polished thing that they do. Even with turnover on the people that have been on there, from Fowler to Reese Davis, and losing all the sideline reporters, Maria Taylor left, they lost Rinaldi. It really hasn't skipped a beat, to be honest with you, and I really feel like as polished as a product it is, it's what makes Lee Corso stumbling stand out even more... But I feel like they've done a great job of allowing him to age about as gracefully as you can age in television, because television is unforgiving. Like, you and I could do this show into our 90s and not be on television, and we would be fine, right? Like, we would, we could talk our way through it. Old people would listen. It's a lot easier to age on radio. It's not easy to age when you are on a traveling show that is weekly, and it is demanding, And I think that it's a testament to guys like Reese Davis, especially Kirk Herbstreet, who have really helped Lee walk through those moments where he stumbled. And I think week one was a lot worse because he wasn't there physically with them, and you do lose a little of that connection. I thought it was better in week two, though. But overall, you're right, it's like Christmas morning. I think what I love about game day so much is that even if the matchups don't end up being great, and we're gonna get to some of the matchups coming up here in a minute, the, the hope that you have of the anticipation of the day, it just is really captured by it. And you see all the fans there, you see old crimson there, Washington state represented for some reason, every single one for however many years. And it's the
1: Marlins man of flags.
0: Yeah, I mean, but it's pretty cool actually. And I think some of the signs are really creative and, and I just think the atmosphere is great. Uh, maybe one day when we do our four down territory, which is a little tease, we'll talk about best sites for a game day, But Overall, I thought it was good. Now, their analysis is usually pretty good. I always love it when they have the guest picker, even though the guest picker this time wasn't anybody who I was at least remotely familiar with, but it doesn't matter. The whole point is you like to see somebody get in there that isn't an analyst pick these games, but I feel like the slate of games week one, especially in the last, I would say 10 years or so, has usually been pretty good. Like we're not getting into college football excited and then all of a sudden it's a bunch of dumpy matchups, good teams playing bad teams. I mean, this year you had Ohio State, Notre Dame, Georgia, Oregon, and those are pretty marquee matchups, at least heading in. Did you feel like the slate heading in was as exciting as it usually is the last few years?
1: Um, I think maybe on paper, some of it was, you know, I think there was four matchups on paper that you were like, hey, you know, at least these were names, ranked programs, like you mentioned, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Georgia, Oregon, Utah, Florida uh beyond that yeah there wasn't a lot there um i do think that the thursday opening game thursday night the backyard brawl pit in west virginia um that was a good game to kind of kick the weekend off with i was happy about that but beyond those few games it was like we had those three or four we'll call them marquee matchups and then there was a huge drop off to the rest of the games most of the rest of the games were um huge mismatches in a lot of ways yeah
0: and there wasn't a lot of quality opponents. The the play was sloppy. I mean, Virginia Tech looked like shit in their game against Old Dominion. And it's just not how you wanna start the season, especially when we have been talking about for weeks now that parody hasn't really ruled, ruled the day in college football and we are, we are wanting there to be more programs that feel like they're in the hunt, so to speak. And I took a big dump all over your sexy pick for the playoff, which was Utah, and they were playing a tough game in Florida and so let, let's go down the line here. First of all, I want your thoughts on the Notre Dame game. You're a Notre Dame fan. I already gave my thoughts on Virginia Tech. We don't need to talk about that any more than that. How do you feel about Notre Dame?
1: Um, as, a, as, an ob, as a realistic fan, which I, I like to call myself, um, Notre Dame, the 21-10 to 10 loss, I, I would say is an acceptable outcome. Um, it was not—Ohio State, I don't think, played their best game. This is not the best version of them. You're going to see much better out of Ohio State throughout the rest of the season. I would like to believe that maybe Notre Dame had a little bit to do with that, uh, but maybe not. Everyone's trying to still work out some kinks here and there. I wasn't crazy about Notre Dame's game plan on offense. I thought they were a little too conservative after hearing some things, you know, uh, press conferences and things since the game. It sounds like that was the game plan, though, to to be very conservative, to try to um, possess the ball, keep Ohio State's offense off the field as much as possible, and take calculated risks, and... It is also tough, though, to be too aggressive when you're starting, I don't know, it seemed like over half of their possessions, they started inside of their own 15-yard line, and it is tough to be aggressive in those scenarios. And then you add into it the factors that you're on the road with a new head coach and a first-time starting quarterback, um, you know, those things play into it. I do like the direction, though, that Marcus Freeman is taking the program. I think that, well, you know, he's basically going to go through these growing pains, On national television and if you think of people like his predecessor Brian Kelly you know he was a head coach at Grand Valley State um, you know won a couple national championships goes to Central Michigan gets that program rolling jumps to Cincinnati I mean so he was a head coach at at two or three stops before he got to Notre Dame where he really was on a national stage and and a lot of head coaches more and more often you're seeing teams willing to take a chance on a young guy a young um, hot coordinator But I think that traditionally, you usually see these head coaches start off at a smaller program where they can sort of work through uh, those growing pains of being a head coach on a a lower level of exposure where Marcus Freeman is being thrown right out there hot and heavy on one of the biggest stages possible. But I think he's handling it well. And the tough part for me is it's going to be a few weeks before we kind of see any visible improvement because notre dame's next couple of opponents aren't aren't very good and you know they should go out and win those games very easily and maybe you know we get a few weeks down the road and we get a tougher opponent and maybe we'll see if they've really made some improvements but overall i was pleased with the outcome ohio state's going to be very very good cj stroud is going to be a heisman candidate and um you know their defense was much improved over last year
0: Yeah, I I felt like Notre Dame was really trying to limit mistakes and keep the big plays off of the board for for Ohio State because that was one thing they were known for last year, and C.J. Stroud was a huge part of that. I thought they handled the atmosphere pretty well. I didn't think that they were overwhelmed by the moment. I didn't think that Freeman was overwhelmed by the moment because, again, the tie-ins with Ohio State coming in, first-time head coaching gig, a program that has a ton of scrutiny on it with a really high preseason ranking, which I didn't think was very fair to put that on those kids a number five ranking to come into the season that's a lot and especially with the kind of turnover you're talking about I mean it's it's a huge programmatic change and in the other marquee matchup Oregon I even said this to you I think last or two weeks ago that I felt like them at 11 losing ball, getting a guy who is average at best as their quarterback in a transfer. Is that really fair to put them that high? And they had a huge test against the defending national champions who I don't know about you. I feel like they haven't been getting it talked about enough coming into the season, having just won a national championship. Like it's it's a strange phenomenon. And what we saw is that Oregon is nowhere near playing with the big boys, like absolutely nowhere near it.
1: Yeah, that's the question I think out of that game is, is it that Georgia is that good or that Oregon is that bad? A 49 to three is a butt whooping. Um, I think it's a stretch. You you could say, well, you're on the road, but you know, it was a neutral site game, but it was in Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, that's not very neutral. Um, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. And then when it comes to Georgia, I I don't, or excuse me, when it comes to Oregon, some people say, you know, they, they ask the question, is it just the team is down or is some of it on the new, the new head coach. And we just talked about Marcus Freeman. And this is another scenario, uh, Dan Lanning was the defensive coordinator at Georgia last year, and now he's the head coach. He's 36 years old. He's the head coach at Oregon, his first head coaching gig ever, and next first game of the year, he goes on the road to defending national champs who he happened to coach for last season, and he takes one on the chin, but I think some of that is a young head coach, it's on the inexperience because Oregon does recruit nationally. They get good players. They have top 10 recruiting classes back to back to back. So I I don't know how much of it's a talent disparity is maybe just um, the turnover of staff in combination with a young and inexperienced head coach and then on the road. And you got to, of course, we can't discredit the opponent, you know, playing Georgia, um, coming off a national championship. That's a lot to uh, face.
0: Oh, I don't disagree. It's just a matter of it's amazing to me, the disparity like 49 to three, that's to me not acceptable when you have two of those high ranked teams playing each other especially in the first week of the season and I understand that the first week there's a lot of kinks to work out and that some teams come in more prepared than others obviously Georgia's talent disparity is higher than it is for other teams that they play right and Oregon just I don't know like I understand there's a lot of turnover and that they have a lot of money I think that's one thing about Oregon that should not be discounted is they have the ability to pay nil money because they have Nike money behind them. So obviously they're going to be they're going to be in the hunt, very Jimbo Fisher like. But it's just disappointing. You don't want to see that as a fan. You don't want to see that as somebody who watches the game. And you certainly don't want to see it if you're a coach. Now, obviously Kirby Smart is is has to be really happy, and the players have to be very happy. But if you're Oregon, that's a huge test right out the gate, and you have to ask yourself. Is it soul-crushing? Because if you had to play that team again later in the season, is is Georgia going to be decidedly worse than they would be in week one? You know, even if Oregon ascends, Georgia, I would have to think, is going to continue to ascend as well because they're in week one also. It just, it would be very discouraging for me as an Oregon fan to see that and be like, we got a lot of work to do. It's not that we can't do it. We just, there's a lot of work to do.
1: Yeah, there's plenty of built-in excuses if that's what you want to call them. Uh, between like I said the new head coach and then you're like well hey we went we went to we went to Georgia and, and got our butts whooped by the national champs who are still really really good um, you know we're here to, to build this thing from the ground up and I say from the ground up like it was left in shambles and it was not but um, he's there to build his own program though and that takes time no matter how good of a program you take over a lot of times and I think that realistic people will kind of give them almost give them a pass on this one. Now, if they go out and lose to, you know, Arizona or uh, Colorado in conference play, it was terrible. I mean, that, that's a different story. Um, but this is kind of a mulligan. Yeah, um, I feel like.
0: Yeah. And now a team that I wonder about now is your sexy pick who is Utah. And I personally felt heading into the swamp that this was dangerous because Florida hasn't been at the top of the SEC the way that they had been under the Spurrier years and of course Urban Meyer winning national championships with Tim Tebow, but still a tough place to play. And Utah traditionally, Pac-12 teams actually traditionally don't one, play well against SEC teams in the first week and two, on the road. And so when I saw the spread kept coming down and down, I felt like Utah was fixing to get upset. And they actually had a chance to win the game and ultimately didn't win, but. Uh, Utah's playoff resume is going to be really tough now because they have to basically win out and they can't afford to lose one of those random games that we talked about to Stanford or Arizona. And it puts a lot of pressure on that program. And I just think what I came away with there was don't trust the sexy Pac-12 team.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I I was. I was very high on Utah. And and I started to get the same feeling as, as you as I kind of watched that spread shrink. And started thinking about that a little bit. I'm like, man, the Swamp's one of the toughest places in the country to play, no matter how good or bad that team is, uh, Florida, at the time. I mean, that's just a tough place to go play. And Utah doesn't play those type of games very often. Those kids probably have not been in that environment very many times. And, you know, this is another case of uh, a rookie head coach, uh, Billy Napier. Yep. um, Taking over a program that's one of the more prestigious programs in the country it's funny i talk about marcus freeman how this doesn't happen very often and here we are three three cases in a row of inexperienced coaches taking over marquee programs but you know his era starts with a win uh you know there's a lot of hype about their quarterback anthony richardson uh passing game not so much he only threw for 168 yards but he did rush for uh three scores on 104 yards rushing so uh, that that is impressive yeah yep And, and i don't know if it's an upset i mean We can call it an upset, but this kind of circles back to our conversation a couple weeks ago where the preseason rankings are what make this an upset. Yes. Is it really that big of an upset? Mm -hmm. You know, do you really believe that Florida's roster is that lesser talented than than Utah's? Probably not. Um, It's just a matter of the the preseason ranking is what made this look like such an upset.
0: I just don't think we know enough to really say it. And I know that... People get paid to do these rankings, and they have coaches vote. I mean, one of the coaches voted for Texas to be number one. So what what is that actually telling you? It's probably Nick Saban. It probably was. But <laughs> uh, hon- honestly, though, I, I think it was unfair to Utah, again, and, and Notre Dame as well, to be ranked that high. And when you come away with a loss, the casual fan, who is probably the people that are listening to shows like this, are going to come away with, a, well, they must not be very, as good as their ranking would would tell you. But is it really a fair ranking to give them that early in the season? Now, before we move on to what has to be the most exciting game of the week, I need to ask you a question. If you win a game scoring seven points and you don't score a touchdown, is that objectively offensive to the game of football?
1: Yes. Um, Now, being someone that has coached a lot of been on the losing end of a lot of football games, I'd take a win. However, I can get one right. It all looks the same.
0: Not disputing when that it at comes, all.
1: When it comes to the record. But, but, yes. So let me throw some numbers out here for you, Iceman. Oh, Jesus. All right. There was 286 total combined yards of offense in the Iowa and South Dakota State game. Okay. 286 total combined yards of offense. All right. Oregon. Oregon scored three points and had 313 yards of offense against Georgia alone. Okay. And these two teams combined for 10 points and 286 total yards of offense. They, this is bad for the game. It sets the game of football back decades. 21 punts and 16 first downs.
0: Oh, it, it you know, my dislike for the AFC South, the Big Ten, stems from this kind of shit, to be honest. And I remember when I was in college, this is early 2000s. Penn State and Iowa, again, played in what had to, at that time, have been the most abysmal game of all time. And it was a 5-3 final, 5-3. Not baseball, football, okay? And, and safeties can be exciting, right? They're they're exciting when they're a part of a larger scoring game. Like in the UNC App, uh, Appalachian State game, for instance, if there was a safety in that, it'd be exciting, right? Because, hey, it's right. these points. But when your margin of victory is not one, but two safeties, and that's it in the third and fourth quarter, it is not what today's football game is like. And I have to think, yeah, a so win is a win, and if you're a fan, you're you're happy about this. But as a casual fan who has no rooting interest in Iowa whatsoever, I do not want that on my TV screen ever again, ever again.
1: No, it was terrible, and I I told you my uh. My, my boss, her and her family went there because a friend of her son's plays for South Dakota State. And she was like, yeah, it was just because I said, wow, you got to watch the most boring football game ever this weekend. And she's like, yeah, it's pretty rough. But I did tell her, I said, but you got to participate. And what it what I believe is one of, if not the best, college football traditions. Yes, which is the wave. I agree
0: with that. Now, Iowa football should exist solely for the wave. That's that's that is like it's like the Knicks. Excuse me. It's like the the Knicks existing just so that they can say they play at Madison Square Garden because Madison Square Garden is the draw. It's not the Knicks. Right. 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 I I don't want I to agree. belabor this because I know your pub time co-host is a huge Hawkeyes fan or at least. Pretends to be, and he was not happy with my comments whatsoever. He thought I took it a little too far by adding three adjectives in front of slop fest.
1: <laughs> so we are, uh, we're both big Iowa wrestling fans, and and he's just sort of uh, adopted the rest of their sports as part of his fandom. I don't hate Iowa. I don't dislike their football program. I have a lot of respect for uh, Kirk Ferentz. I think uh, he does a good job now. But he is—he is, he is uh, very known for doing just this. Yes. Going out against mediocre teams and performing very poorly. But they'll host Ohio State, mm-hmm. and it'll be a game in the 30s or 40s down to the wire. It, it, they literally—they just play to their competition week to week, which is extremely frustrating as a fan.
0: When I have to tell you that. Iowa played a worse game, an aesthetically worse game than Rutgers. And Rutgers had a play where they were a fourth and goal, and they ended up having to punt, all right? So that's not great. Iowa was worse than that. And I don't want to belabor that too much. So let's move on to easily the most exciting game of the week, and that was North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and Appalachian State. Now, Appalachian State is known for the upset of upsets in college football history, having gone to the big house 2007, winning – They have since moved up in the world. They are not the same lower tier school that they had been. And that moment, I think, is a seminal moment in getting them to where they are. This game was buck wild. Absolutely buck wild. The fourth quarter, App State scored, what, 40 points?
1: Yeah, it was bizarre, man. Absolutely crazy. Uh, Just the, the lead changes and things like that late in the game. And just the crazy things that had to take place for it to end the way it ended.
0: Something like 1,200 yards of total offense combined. 1,200. Iowa and South Dakota State combined for not even 300.
1: Well, and I can tell you this right now. So both quarterbacks passed for over 350 yards each. Yes. Okay. So when you have Iowa and South Dakota State with 286 total yards of offense combined, and then in this game you have two quarterbacks that throw... For 350 yards a piece and i believe that both teams ran for nearly 300 yards rushing a piece i mean it's just absolutely insane i mean the over under on that game was 56 and a half points i mean they blew that out of the water
0: in the fourth quarter and only two turnovers too with all that offense and all that scoring only two turnovers combined between the two teams which is pretty unusual a lot of times when you have a high scoring affair like that there's a couple of turnovers probably a pick six maybe a fumble six something like that nothing like that it was just
1: pure offense And that's what people want to see. You'll have, you know, your people, you know, the same people that tell you they want to see a one to nothing pitchers duel in baseball are the same people. They're going to tell you they probably loved that Iowa, South Dakota state defensive battle, seven to three, two safeties, all that stuff. I mean, I get it. There's an art to playing great defense. There's an art to a pitchers duel and small ball and all that stuff in baseball, but the casual fan just wants to see offense they just want fireworks man nonstop fireworks and you got it if you watch that game for sure
0: oh 100 and it was exciting that was the most exciting thing on television on saturday at least i mean the big games didn't provide the intrigue that we all wanted that game certainly gave you offense in spades now looking to week two there's actually more matchups in week two that i think are intriguing than normally and the one i want to focus on first is the texas longhorns are back for at least one week
1: yeah one week I mean them in Alabama they both had opening week wins against weak opponents this game will be in Austin so Texas does have the home field advantage but I do think that all of the pressure in this game is on Texas 100 percent, because this this is a marquee game for them this is a a game that their fan base is going to use as a measuring stick to see where they are and for Alabama this is they've been here before oh, right yeah. this this is just another game they're not going to treat this game with any more seriousness or whatever than they would treat any other game Nope. and and that's one benefit of having a guy like Nick Saban at the helm is is he is great at keeping things just calm and on the level and hey this is just another day at the office and i think that that's probably texas's biggest disadvantage and cuz you you can tell it's an issue because sark has been in the media all week so far just trying to downplay it hey we just get to go out there and do what we love to do you know we're just taking it one game he's saying all these things because you you, he knows that everyone's losing their fucking mind over this game Mm -hmm. and he's trying to make it sound like the most ordinary thing possible so there isn't a monumental letdown from the fan base or the kids on the team when this does not go their way
0: i mean it's very possible that texas is at least talented enough to hang with Alabama at home I mean this is a home game I I believe right it's in it's in Austin yeah it's
1: uh, yeah as far as I know yes
0: so they have that going for them it should be a very raucous crowd that's one thing I have to say about Texas football is their fans have stuck with them through all of the mediocrity I mean ever since basically ever since Vince Young stepped into that end zone it's really been a precipitous fall they had Colt McCoy of course but and there's it's mostly been blips, right? There hasn't been sustained excellence the way that we had known Texas football to be until then. Nick Saban, though, he doesn't give a shit. Like that's Nick, no, he doesn't give a shit. Nick Saban is Bill Belichick. Every game is just a one game sample and they're gonna do what they have to do. It's a job.
1: Yeah, I mean, all those things you mentioned, home field advantage, raucous crowd all all that stuff i mean all that shit would mean something against anyone else but in this matchup i i don't think it, it carries any weight no unfortunately and and that really does show you how great nick saban is that he is able to and for bill belichick i get it because for the most part you're dealing with professionals yep. right grown men and their livelihood is depending on doing what you tell them to do where in this case, I mean, you're talking about 18 to 22 year old kids that, you know, are probably coming from a, a small, uh, some town somewhere, some high school where they were the best thing ever, you know, they're the, and now they're coming to Alabama and, and they probably think their shit doesn't stink. And, and Nick Saban is there to knock them all down a notch a little bit and say, listen, you're very talented, but if you want to get to where you want to go, shut your mouth and listen, mm-hmm. fall in line and let's go. And I think that's why he's been able to be so successful. And that's why you see Alabama going on the road to Texas as a 20-point favorite. Yeah, uh, And and I don't think there's anybody that's even batting an eye at that number.
0: No, no, I really don't. It's just the, the fact that Nick Saban gets the benefit of the doubt because the results are there. It's like with Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady, I'm going to assume that he can do the job until he shows me that he can't do the job. Because at this point, it feels like he's going to play at least 90 because he just continues to be excellent. And until Saban shows that he doesn't have it anymore, even at age seventy, I'm just gonna assume that he has it and then his team is going to be ready the way that they're always ready.
1: Yep, I agree. Uh, that's the one thing I guess if you do beat one of these Alabama teams, especially when it matters in playoff time, you know you got a good one because he's gonna have his teams prepared. He doesn't take anything for granted um uh, you hear his press conferences where people are like so is it just we we just reload and keep rolling and he like chews those people out he's like what are you talking about you think we just crap out great players he's like you know yeah they might be good in high school but we got to bring them in here we got to coach them. we got to teach them our system yeah i mean he he just chews those people's heads off when they when they try to act like it's just automatic
0: yeah and it's not automatic but going down the list here so moving to the other games. We have a lot of ranked ranked games now because heading into this episode, we had some unranked SEC teams who are now ranked that you know their new rankings have come out. Florida and Tennessee, now in the rankings, are playing ranked opponents. And I think we're going to get an interesting test for these teams because these SEC teams that were unranked that nobody really had in their radar get wins in the first game of the season. And now they get stiff tests in the second game of the season. But it's interesting. I think the narrative for me is that we all seem to give the SEC teams the benefit of the doubt in a lot of these games because, again, time and time again, they have proven to be better than the other Power Five conferences.
1: Yeah, the proof is in the pudding, and and in one of them we have SEC versus SEC, and that's you know Florida. They're actually gonna they're a five point road favorite at number 20, Kentucky. Uh, Florida is now ranked number 11. Uh, So they go from unranked to ranked 11th, I guess. (laughs) And uh, Kentucky is without their veteran running back, Chris Rodriguez, this week. And they're also dealing with a lot of off-the-field issues um, and some distractions. So you have that combined with the momentum that Florida has. And I I really think this is a a recipe for a Florida blowout. Could be.
0: Florida kind of feels like the new Utah now, right? Where there's a team that maybe... Utah was sexy because they were number seven, but now you got an SEC team that seems to maybe have a little bit more talent than they have. They've proven that they can play with the big fellas. They get another big win here. They're kind of setting themselves up. They're having to win some matchups, but the possibility is there that they're maybe not a pushover in the SEC the way that we maybe thought that they were. And I know for Tennessee's sake, they got Hendon Hooker, who used to be a Hokie. I don't know why he's not anymore, but he isn't. And there is a lot of talent at both of those schools. And both of those schools traditionally, or at least the last 10 years or so, haven't really been able to capture their former Magic, Tennessee more than Florida.
1: No, you're right. And and this is a case, again, of, a, of an SEC road favorite. Uh, they're ranked number 24. They're a six and a half point favorite. At Pitt, who's ranked number 17. And, you know, if you watch the game on Thursday at all, the Pitt West Virginia game, it was some ugly football. But yeah. I'll tell you what, Pitt's scrappy. They're tough. They're physical. But it's still not SEC level football. I'm sure they'll clean some things up. And I do think they have the benefit of being in a, a contested game, which I think mm-hmm. you can learn more from than kind of blowing out the Sisters of the Poor from wherever. And, and then Pitt, too, I think, you know, maybe the letdown of coming off of kind of an emotional rivalry win and having to refocus on, you know, an S, a ranked SEC team coming to your building. I think there's a lot to be said there. I mean, but, you know, Tennessee came off, like I said, or I guess it was Ball State. Ball State was the Sisters of the Poor and went yeah. for Tennessee. But, you know, it is bizarre, though, when you see a, a team ranked lower going on the road and they're a, a almost a touchdown favorite. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that tells you, like you said, everything you need to know about the SEC and what what people think about them.
0: And also Vegas gets it right most of the time. I mean, sure, you can use confirmation bias and say, hey, look at the time that they got it wrong when there's an upset. But for the most part, the spreads are pretty consistent. And usually the money talks. And when you see like that's why the the spread in the Florida-Utah game coming down closer to a push, it was like that tells you something. That tells you that the people that know what they're doing – seem to be favoring Florida in this situation. And I think you are absolutely right. Whenever people want to rank the conferences and debate on which conferences are better and all that, you know, the Big Ten likes to think that they're better than the SEC. The proof is in the pudding. More times than not, the SEC comes out on top in the biggest of stages whenever they play other conferences. And I think that, again, it's one of those, until they prove that that's not the case, I'm going to stick with these road sec teams to win these games because i think that their talent disparity is just better
1: no i i agree completely and i i think that people like to hate on the sec every everybody always hates the guy who's standing on top of the mountain right? of course and that's all you have here is a little bit of envy and perhaps jealousy that that they're not them but the proof is in the pudding. And the SEC has proven themselves time and time again against all the quality opponents from the other leagues. And I really expect to see the same uh, this season.
0: And the last statement game I think we have is BYU, who maybe is angling to be this year's Cincinnati. And they have a tough... Tough task. To they're hosting Baylor, number 10. And Baylor has you know, been pretty good. They've gotten their act back together after the Art Briles scandal and everything. And you know they almost snuck into the playoff last year. They were right there at the end and they just couldn't put it away in the Big 12 title game, if I remember. Um, so BYU has a, a chance to really make a statement and get a real statement win that would solidify them if they end up going undefeated and get to the end. And they can point to that victory and say that this was a huge victory for us.
1: Yeah, no, Iceman, I tell you, man, they are a good football team and, uh, you know, ranked number 21. They're a three and a half point favorite at home against number nine Baylor, which tells you probably everything you need to know about yeah. what people think about that game. Um, they had a decisive win at South Florida this week. Fared much better than their Utah brethren yes. on the road. Um, and, and you know, one thing to keep in mind, too, with all the realignment that's happening is this is a future big 12 matchup yes um that we will see and and maybe the beginning of some sort of a new rivalry which is cool but BYU is on the rise and maybe you know I think the Zach Wilson group and everything else you know kind of got this thing rolling and what I'm excited about too with BYU is Notre Dame is going to play them in Vegas this year in a neutral site game and what makes me happy about that is that I hope BYU keeps it rolling so that if Notre Dame is able to win that game it's a quality win
0: yeah for sure and I want to ask you one more thing about college before we move on to the NFL. Uh, I was talking with my brother-in-law. He is an Air Force Academy grad, long time long time ago now. But Air Force looks really good as far not just compared to the other service academies, but they look like they can legitimately run the table this year. And I want to ask you, if there was a service academy that ran the table, and Air Force, I think, plays, you know, they don't play necessarily a pushover schedule. I think they're in the Mountain West, right? So they play, you know, some decent yeah. teams here or there. But if there was an undefeated service academy, do you think it would be cool or not cool for them to end up making the playoff?
1: Tough question. I think it'd be cool if they just had at least one marquee win. You know, they they beat one top 10 team Mm -hmm. somewhere along the way. I think it's easy to justify it in that case. But you look at it, man. Like, (laughs) there's, there's almost always a year in, year out one of the service academies is sneaky good mm-hmm. right and a couple years ago it was army it was really really good man and you know in this this year's air force team they return a really really experienced backfield their quarterback and running back are really good and that tells you that you know they're they're a 17 and a half point favorite at home against a pac-12 team now granted that pac-12 team is colorado but hey to be to be nearly a three touchdown favorite against a, a power five program you know, that that's a huge testament to where people think your program is. And, you know, do I think that the service academies should get a little more run and a little more praise? Absolutely. At the same time, I think we all realize why they're there in the existence. And I think that's one of the most impressive things is that, Hey, like these guys in most cases were not necessarily recruited to play football. Some of them were, some of them weren't, but that I believe the service academies require you participate in at least one, extracurricular athletic activity throughout your whole four years on campus and things like that. And it's like, man, these guys, yeah, they're out here one week or one year. They're playing football, you know, against whatever on Saturdays and, and next year they might be in a war zone somewhere.
0: Uh, Yep. And I just think it would be neat to see them in the conversation. Let's put it that way. Like if they go undefeated, it would be awesome for air force to be talked about late in the year as the playoff rankings come out and we're waiting on bated breath. I just wanted to ask you about that because We did leave out the service academies from our reimagining of the NCAA for obvious reasons, because that's about purely money. But since we haven't gotten to that point yet, if we had an undefeated service academy, I think it'd be really great, at least again, to give them a rub. I mean, Air Force getting a New Year's Eve bowl or New Year's Day bowl would be incredible to me. Like that would just be
1: great. I I don't disagree. And hey, let's just talk about it while it's right here. The 12 team playoff. Yeah. Yeah could provide these sort of opportunities. And in a 12-team playoff scenario, my feelings are not hurt one bit if, if one of those 12 spots is taken up by a Mountain West champion Air Force.
0: No, I mean, they're not actually, at all. They're actually trying to make winning your conference at a premium, which I think is very important. So they're not just adding the first 12 teams. They're giving priority to, I think it was the first six division winners or the best six division winners or something like that. And yeah, then the,
1: the highest ranked, yeah, the highest go. ranked The six highest ranked conference champions will get in no matter what their ranking is so like if if air force wins the mountain west and and they're ranked 23rd they're going to be in yeah um and then the top four ranked conference champions will get the buys and uh the first round games are going to be played on campus and hosted by the higher seeded team which i think is fantastic yeah and then the, the semi-finals and the championship well the semifinals will be bowl games and then the championship will be its standalone deal but i i we talked about this the other day in text you know 12 teams is a lot um i think eight's the magic number but i think 12's better than four
0: i agree and i thought about it a little bit more i was a little critical about 12 because i thought maybe it would water down the field But thinking about the details, having these games, at least the first round games at a university gives the students an extra game. It's more about the student body at that point, which is more about the university, which I think is cool. Plus it gives these fan bases, even if they have zero chance to actually win the national title, even if the same four teams or five teams are always vying for the championship, it gives us, the viewer and these fans, a little bit more hope. And that's why we're fans, right? We're fans because of the hope that comes along with fandom. Whether your team is great or not great, when you start the season, oh no, you're like, everything is in front of you. Anything is possible. So I think that I've come around a little bit that 12 teams actually is a good thing. I mean, the NCAA wins, the schools win because there's money involved. And I think as fans, we get a little bit of a different flavor even if the same teams are winning the national title We have one extra game or a couple of extra games where it's new faces and new brands.
1: Well, and how cool is it if you're Air Force and you win the Mountain West, and let's say they do, let's say you're the sixth highest ranked conference champion, and so that's the seed you get. You get a sixth seed. What that likely means is that you're going to get to host a first round playoff game. So can you imagine Florida, Clemson, Notre Dame, having to travel to the Air Force Academy, going to... Colorado Springs, yep. man. I mean, and not just. I mean, can you imagine that for those students and that university to mm-hmm. be able to have that opportunity? Oh, yeah. I mean, it just it's it's it just makes gives me goosebumps because I love those types of, of settings and scenarios. Massive and, and amount of fact, pride. Absolutely. Yeah. You're totally right. The, the, I think that this is this system is going to give exposure to a lot of these universities and and let them kind of have their shine a little bit. Yeah. Which, which is really neat.
0: And I think you're right. I think that is a benefit. And there's a lot to look forward to this season. Week one is week one. We don't learn a whole lot, but we're in a transition real quick. Week one of the NFL is here. Now, I am more of an NFL guy than I am a college guy. I don't know why. I just love the NFL. Actually, I, was, I said it this weekend. I looked at my wife and I was like, I just, no matter what the politics are, what the extracurriculars are. I love the game of football. I absolutely love the game of football and I'll take it in just about any form. So having college and the NFL back, it just, I'm over the moon. It makes me happy. It's like Christmas day, as you said, two weeks in a row. Now the season starts for real this coming Thursday as is now tradition, the Super Bowl champion always hosts usually a really good team. And I think we have what could be one of the best matchups of the season right out the gate with Bill's Rams. I
1: wanted to get your quick analysis on the game. Again, another road favorite, two and a half point favorites on the road in Los Angeles. I do think that Sean McVay teams come out of the gates a little slow. They do. And they they get better the, as the year progresses. I think you're gonna see Buffalo because of how they've fallen short the last couple of years. I think you're gonna see them come out really hot and really hungry. And I do expect Buffalo to uh, cover that two and a half point spread in la on thursday night
0: i do agree with you wholeheartedly i have maintained for weeks now that the bills are the most motivated team in the nfl two years straight now they have lost in excruciating fashion in the playoffs and they're ascending i think it's very obvious and by technicality josh allen hasn't even reached his prime yet and he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league and i think that they are well coached and i think they're hungry as you said they're motivated i think for the rams end they got to the mountaintop last year And when you've never been to the mountaintop it's always distracting and we just talked about nick saban and bill belichick the patriots got to the mountaintop six times in the bill belichick era and bill belichick knows that as soon as that season starts as soon as that banner is unveiled it's a new day it's a new season and i think players get caught up in that stuff and the fans get caught up in that stuff and i think there's going to be some opening day jitters plus there's some questions about matt i mean yeah matt stafford's elbow and that's a huge concern. I know that they're downplaying it, but he's gone. That team is gone.
1: I agree. And even beyond his elbow, you spent your whole career in Detroit with a very mediocre uh, football team and you go to Los Angeles and in your first year you win a Super Bowl. Where is your head at? Yeah. Like at this point, are you like, man, I did it, I got it. Like whatever happens from here on out, I'm good with it. Let's yeah. roll. I mean, where is he at mentally, you wonder?
0: Personally, I think he and Aaron Donald are. Let's run it back one more time, and if we don't win, I think they're good, right? Matt Stafford is probably going to be a Hall of Famer. Aaron Donald is going to walk into the Hall of Fame no matter when he retires, between now and whenever he retires, and I think that that's that's where my head would be at, and I think we got a glimpse into Aaron Donald's headspace this offseason, not when he was bashing somebody with a helmet, but when he almost retired after they won the Super Bowl because he's 30 years old. He can save himself how many years of pain and suffering and aches and pains and retire a champion.
1: Do you think that Matthew Stafford had to win the Super Bowl to be in Hall of Fame contention? I I actually kind of do. And I'm
0: not taking away Matt Stafford's ability, but Matt Stafford was afforded the ability to play in a time where passing was more at a premium than it ever was. And he got to play with Calvin Johnson, who is now a Hall of Famer. I love the stat that Calvin Johnson was drafted, played, and then became eligible and into the Hall of Fame in Tom Brady's career. That's just an amazing stat. Um, (laughs) Isn't it? It is. It's ridiculous. But I think Matt Stafford was given a lot of shit to play with, and he had a lot of great statistical years. And the years that they had talent, they made the playoffs, but there was was something missing from his resume, in my opinion. And um, you don't have to always win rings to be considered one of the greats, but I think when you are trying to compare contemporaries and you have a guy who's won a Super Bowl, and played at a high level, and then a guy who hasn't, the way that they pare down the NFL Hall of Fame is very much like that. There's a huge pool, and it gets pared down and pared down. And you have to make tough calls. And I think that as a Super Bowl champion, it certainly helps his legacy because he was directly responsible. They went from not winning the Super Bowl, traded for him, and then they won a Super Bowl immediately. So I think that that's a testament to his talent, but I think it solidifies it for me.
1: Nope, I agree. And just kind of like you alluded to, I think with the way the game has changed and offensive offenses have become more pass-heavy, you're going to see more and more quarterbacks that have crazy stats, you know, throw for an insane amount of yards and touchdowns and way more than you would have seen traditionally, you know, 20 years ago. But when you compare them to their contemporaries of their era mm-hmm. and say okay like how many games did you win how many playoff games how many championships uh I, that's really i think what separates you know it, it's it's much easier if you looked at i think it's funny if you say hey who's a better quarterback matthew stafford or dan marino you know you're gonna get the unanimous answer of dan marino probably most of the time if mm-hmm. not 100 percent. and i think everyone would agree that dan marino Probably a better quarterback than Matthew Stafford. But when you take Matthew Stafford's career in the here and now with all of the passing yards and accomplishments, and then you tack a Super Bowl onto it, I agree with you that I think he needed that Super Bowl and inevitably he will be a Hall of Famer.
0: I mean, it's the Eli Manning argument. If Eli Manning hadn't won two Super Bowls, he would not be a Hall of Famer. I agree. Completely not a Hall of Famer. But that currency that you get, my business partner, Cleveland always talks about how rings in any sport are currency for you and they get you in the door. In the NFL, there's a lot of quarterbacks who have won one Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers, by the way, one of those guys, Drew Brees, one of those guys, most people would consider them two of the the greats, at least in this generation. They only won one time. Actually, each of them have only been one time. That's how difficult it is to get to the Super Bowl, how difficult it's supposed to be And it speaks to tom brady's greatness that he's been there nine times or whatever it is yep i mean it's just just insane and you have to have something that differentiates you so winning two super bowls that gets eli manning not just a seat at the restaurant but like a prime table and it's just the way that that currency works and there's only one quarterback who's ever won two super bowls and not been in the hall of fame one so you win more than one you're good so i think if you're matt Stafford. You feel good about yourself and you feel good about your legacy, but hey, we got the same team. Let's run it back one more time and see what we got. A guy who is at the beginning of his career is Tua Tungabailoa. I think I said that right. It's interesting. Tua, has to me, has to be one of the most polarizing quarterbacks in the league for having done just about nothing.
1: Yeah, he he came in with all sorts of accolades. He unseated a national championship or... I believe a national championship quarterback in Alabama um, and Jalen Hurts, and took that program over, you know, won them a champ, came in in the national championship game, won them the game, and then became the starter. Jalen Hurts goes to Oklahoma. We all know the story. He gets drafted, has had a very illustrious career up to this point, but everyone's talking about how, hey, now he, he's got a coach that, you know, everybody's looking good. The coach is really on the same page as him. He's got a few weapons now. I I don't know if I see it that way necessarily. And and to really compare their matchup this week, you know, they're playing the Patriots. So you have two former Alabama quarterbacks, two on Mac Jones. But here's the things I see in that matchup. Bill Belichick eats up rookie head coaches and the Dolphins have one. Um, Northern teams struggle playing in Miami in September. Now I did read that the Patriots are changing up their uh travel plans compared traditionally they arrive on saturday play on sunday they're already there, apparently this year
0: i think they're already there i think they were
1: there yeah, like, yeah. Th- this year yeah for this game specifically because of the heat and humidity they showed up a week ahead of time uh to acclimate and and one thing though i find interesting is neither one of these teams really has any star power nope. at the skill positions at except, all except for tyree kill Yeah, but maybe, right? I mean, is that, like, maybe a little washed-up star power, possibly? I mean, yeah, we'll see. I mean, the Chiefs
0: Chiefs got rid of him for a reason, and it was a business decision because they weren't going to re-sign him, and they had to get out while the getting was good, and the Dolphins were takers because Tua has no excuses now. Like, the Dolphins are in an interesting place where Tua has only really had one season at the helm, and it feels like this is his... Shit, or get off the pot season. Like, if, if they don't make the playoffs, he's done. They're going to move on because Brian Flores wanted Deshaun Watson.
1: Yeah, he would take a serial rapist over. He wasn't Chua. at the time, though. <laughs> he wasn't at the time. Everybody I shouldn't say rapist. Wanted. I shouldn't say rapist. Serial sexual assaulter. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. And so, but
0: I'll tell you my, my take on the Patriots. I, I really feel like this is a year that they're going to struggle because I think Mac Jones is a solid quarterback. Last year, I said everything would have to go right to win 10 games, and I think literally everything went right for them with no star power at the skill position, as you said. They have a deep running back room, but this is not a running back league. Running the football and playing good defense, it's an old person's game, and it only lasts so far. And you saw last year, they ripped off a seven-game heater and then teams started to pass and they couldn't keep up and Mac Jones is a rookie I mean even to your point about Matt Stafford Mac Jones threw for almost 4,000 yards last year which in the past would have been like holy shit
1: yes running the ball and playing great defense will keep you in a lot of football games it will give you a chance to win a lot of football games but it's not going to win you very many football games And, and that's the difference and you know It's funny when I sit down and I think my father's finally starting to, he's evolved a little bit in his perception of the game. But I always enjoy those conversations when we sit around on Saturdays and Sundays watching football and just sort of our different perspectives of the game because we came up in different eras. Mm -hmm. You know, he's from that, you know, hard nosed, you got your bell rung, rub some dirt on it era. And, you know, I'm kind of maybe more recent here with, hey, like, you know, there's different ways to win a football game. It, it's not just a, a matter of beating someone into submission. Uh, it's kind of that work smarter, not harder mentality. I, I do think that Bill Belichick's talented enough that he's going to keep the team in a lot of games. But I don't know if Mac Jones or the roster has enough talent to win games when it matters it's asking a lot for a second
0: year guy who had a great rookie campaign by any objective measure to come in and put the team on his shoulder brady in a second year won a super bowl but it was really his first year starting next year they didn't make the playoffs so yeah. there's there is a drop off and there's a lot of film on mac jones now but having bill belichick it gives you a leg up because he's seen everything and he's not going to be panicked by anything but i just yeah. don't feel like they have the talent
1: I think Max very. I think Mac is talented in terms of he's very fundamentally sound, but he's not dynamic. No. And you need a guy with when you don't have the guys at the skill positions, you need a guy at quarterback who's dynamic. And they don't have either one of those things.
0: Totally agree. Speaking of a former Patriot, Tom Brady. Do you think he's focused on football? Because I personally don't.
1: Man, I saw that picture of him mm-hmm. at the press conference when he showed up, and you know who he looked like. You, you seen that book or the movie end of the wild no like chris it uh, it's a uh, it's about this chris mccandless i think is the guy's name and someone could correct that you can look it up later but it's this dude that he graduated college and he was like you know what to hell with civilization i'm gonna go live out in the middle of alaska like by myself and he ends up living in some abandoned bus in the middle of nowhere alaska and ends up dying of starvation because he didn't have the skills to do that and he there's some photos that he took of himself while he was out there starving oh good and there there are alarming um comparisons between the way he looks and the way that tom brady looked at that most recent press conference and i don't know man there's something weird going on with tom brady i don't know what it is i don't know if if his marriage is crumbling which has been rumored to Mm -hmm. be happening which is would be really sad or if he's just getting kind of old man crazy. Or if they've just got some deal worked out where like, hey, he came back for a year, but he gets just to make his own schedule and show up when he wants. I'm not sure. I think the season will eventually tell the story, but I don't feel good about where Tom Brady and the Bucs are right now.
0: I don't either. And I think Tom Brady is so great because he was so singularly dedicated to football. And you're a family man just like I am. There comes a time when you need to step into the family role no matter what your job is or how you make a living. And you can't love something more than your family. I mean, you can, but it's not a recipe for success in that realm. And I think Tom is very distracted. I mean, I thought the first news conference was very telling. Now, we have seen a different side of Tom Brady since he left the Patriots. He's been a lot more himself. And I think we've gotten a little bit more of a glimpse into probably who he is. But when he was asked about, you know, why he was gone, he said, look, I'm 45. There's a lot of shit going on. I mean, that's not a Tom Brady response. And I think that he's very distracted. And I think that this matchup heading into Dallas, who should be a talented team, I, I think we're going to get a real sense right away at what the team makeup is and what his mindset is. And I personally think that Dallas is going to kind of put a whooping on the Bucks.
1: Yeah, I think that first and foremost, I'll say this. I think that Tom should have stayed retired. I agree. Um, I do think this is an opportunity for the Cowboys to get kind of a signature win under their belts to start the season. Uh, And then also, you know, I think one question mark that exists a little bit is how many miles are left on the Dak and Zeke train as a combination? I think that, you know, Zeke came out hot as a rookie and early on in the last couple of years, he's just been sort of pedestrian at best. But I think if they can get the run game going with some of the pieces they have at receiver and Dak's ability, I almost feel like this is a make-or-break season for the Cowboys a little bit. That if they shit the bed this year, that they're going to fire Mike McCarthy and it'll be another head coach and and we'll start the whole story over again. But I I do have some optimism, though, about this maybe being a special year for them or the year that Cowboys fans have been waiting for for a while.
0: A long while. Zeke is a glorified fullback. I I think that they're heading into an interesting part of the offseason because both him and Pollard are up in free agency, and they're in a unique situation where they may let both guys walk but never actually gave Pollard a fair shake at starting, so they don't really know what they have. And I feel like Zeke is is dead weight on that roster. Now, he does some things well, but you're not paying him the amount of money that you're paying him to be a guy that does a few things well. You're, being, you're paying him to be a premier back, and I think that we saw explosive speed from Pollard last year. He doesn't do as much of the power running and some of that... You know short yardage stuff on third down, but I think you have to see what you have in Pollard because you can't let both guys walk without knowing what you have in fully in Pollard.
1: You know, and this boat's kind of a bigger question that we can discuss further maybe next week. But you wonder how much does money change these guys? You know, when Zeke came in as rookie, see a lot of these guys come in their rookie year and they light it up. You know, but once they get a taste of the money and the lifestyle, it, it seems like they they get rather complacent really fast and unmotivated
0: so i this is a plug by accident but i've interviewed this guy three separate times his name is myron flowers and um he is or was the trainer he's he lives in the in the area here but he trained uh, the Diggs brothers and vernon davis and his brother vonte davis and so he's been training nfl and nba talent for quite a while and he has said consistently that in football whenever you get your money whether you have money or not You have to be the same guy because there's always someone someone coming up for you whether you're the young guy trying to get what an old guy has or an old guy trying to keep the young guy down but what sets the best players apart is consistency and if you're consistent no matter whether you're getting paid he even talked about vernon davis how vernon davis had those down years when he was trying to do too much he's trying to be a businessman and play football and a family man And you can't do all of it. You have to be consistent in your preparation and be almost religious about what you do. And that's what I said about Tom Brady. So I think that the money does change people. And I think you see that for the negative when it does. Albert Hainsworth is the prime example of that.
1: Well, I've always heard that money makes you more of what you already are. It's basically just putting an exclamation point on the person you are at that point in time. Which, hey, great for some. That's not such a great thing for others. But when I look around, though, I can see some truth in that.
0: So two more games. Uh, Packers-Vikings is an early indication of who's going to win this division.
1: And I got to tell you, I feel like the Packers are frauds. Fraud might be a strong word, but I would say that I do think they're up against it a little bit this year. I do think that in the case of the Vikings, you have Mike Zimmer has gone who, I mean, God. by all accounts, just hated off hated Kirk cousins. I mean, he absolutely hated Kirk cousins. So you have Kevin O'Connell coming in. He was the OC for the Rams last year. First year head coach, offensive minded guy. It's the first time in Kirk cousins career. I think that he's had an offensive minded head coach. So we'll see what he can do. I don't think, I think Kirk Cousins gets a bad rap. He does. I think, I think he is better than advertised. And when put in the right system, he could be dangerous. And then you you have the whole weird Aaron Rodgers like ayahuasca experience in South America. And if anything, you know, I think that, you know, that maybe opened his mind to the fact that there's a lot of stuff out there other than football that, that he could be focusing on or is focused on for that matter. I I don't know that his relationship uh, with the coaching staff there is that great again Not a ton of weapons, but he's never had a lot of weapons really not since maybe the Jordy Nelson days and Jimmy Graham but, uh, he just lost his best
0: weapon in Devonte Adams that he's had for years yeah. and that's why I call them fraudulent because they have the third highest percentage in Vegas to win the Super Bowl and I'm like that how like I don't know I do not understand because
1: that. they know they know the Packer degenerate fans are gonna put money on that all day long That's They're a good bet point. on that all day long I I, I just
0: mean, don't see it but, but with the Packers this year and I think that Aaron Rodgers now a little sidebar he was on Joe Rogan recently. And yeah. he talked about the whole thing last year with the vaccine, Do you remember all that? The nice. immunized or whatever. I don't know if you've heard this, but it is a whopper, you gotta listen to it. Apparently when he found out he was allergic to the, you know, two of the vaccines, the mRNA vaccine, he didn't wanna take the one that was causing heart problems with some people, a very, very small percentage. So he went to this holistic doctor and ended up getting into this program where apparently they were orally ingesting COVID to basically mimic a vaccine. And I was like, i i don't even know where to start with that like he is fully on on the deep end somewhere i don't know uh,
1: but what more do you expect though out of a dude oh I don't, yeah i know from cal yeah <laughs> right yeah it was, it was i weird. do think he, he did tell a really fascinating story though on that podcast about a teacher he had oh, I, I heard I that one yeah, that? Yeah, yeah 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 that was wild but i do find him interesting is a human being just listen to him talk in his perspective Not saying i agree with him but like i do find it him is an. i do think he's an interesting human being but and a very talented quarterback maybe the most talented quarterback we've ever seen very true but he can't he can't do it alone and they don't have shit for weapons i think you have some of the other teams in the north that are they're kind of on the upswing and i agree that i do not think that this is the packers year
0: So the last one, you got two former quarterbacks playing their old teams. You got Baker playing the Browns says he wants to fuck them up. And then you got Russ playing the Seahawks, who are going to be absolutely terrible because they're starting Geno Smith. And that is not a good sign if you are Drew Locke. Absolutely not a good sign.
1: No, not a good sign. Let's get this one out of the way real quick. Okay. Russ goes to Seattle, takes care of business. And I do think that Russell Wilson, he's the type of guy that he elevates average players around him to start him. And I think he's going to do that. I think you'll see Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton. They're going to become sort of household names. They're going to have breakout years, uh, numbers wise, and the Broncos are going to be in contention to win their division. And they're going to knock the piss out of the, the Seahawks week one. Um, moving on to Baker Baker. You know the, what i wrote down on my notes and forgive my language but baker strikes me as the type of guy that he loves a good grudge fuck, right oh yeah Hate and, fuck you mean yeah and yeah. when and when it comes to revenge okay baker mayfield you know he reminds me of anigo montoya from the princess bride who is just spinning the entire movie looking for the six-fingered man and the cleveland browns are the six-fingered man and, you know, he, he has been waiting all off season and pr- hell, he was probably waiting for this moment while he was still in Cleveland for the opportunity to go somewhere else and to come back and to stick it to him. You know, I think that Baker Mayfield is at his best when he has hate in his heart <laughs> um, and a grudge uh, to motivate him. And then you add on top of that, just real things like Christian McCaffrey being healthy. Yeah. And. I really think that they're going to go and take care of business in Cleveland.
0: I can't wait till Matt rule runs him into the ground because he said last year he wanted to run the ball more because that's apparently apparently if it is Scooby-Doo moment, it'd be your dad underneath Matt rules face mask because uh, I know your dad longs for the power eye and the wishbone, doesn't he? That's right. Yeah, that'd be about right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, Heading into the end of the episode, we're going to talk about two new segments. First one, it's going to be a weekly thing. It is Brad's pick of the week, and we are so amateur that we do not have imaging for it yet. So,
1: Brad, what is your pick of the week? Okay, so I really tried to, like, force myself to, the, to go outside of what my normal type of, like, logical pick would be and to get one that has maybe a little bit of fun to it. And so this is my pick. I'm taking the Lions over the Eagles. This is straight up. This is money line Lions over the Eagles to win outright, even though they're a four-point dog. I have faith. I would love nothing more than to see Motor City Dan Campbell get it done, start his season off with a win. After everything you've seen on Hard Knocks this offseason, I mean, that guy, I can't think of a more genuine, passionate guy than what you've seen out of Dan Campbell. And to see him be able to go out week one, this is more of a heart choice than a head choice. But I'm serious, man. Lay it on the Lions over the Eagles. Motor City Dan Campbell getting it done in week one.
0: You heard it here first, folks. Eagles losing to the Lions in week one. That is a very bold pick. The Lions are not a team that you want to put a lot of your money behind. But I think if you're talking about just straight up picks, that's what Brad has in Brad's pick of the week. Next week, we are going to debut a new segment that is going to be YouTube only called Four Down Territory. Check out, check out next week for that. I wanna remind you, two things. Check out mattyassmedia.com to support the podcast that I'm supporting and I'm a part of. And Pub Time Podcasts, of course, wherever you find your podcasts, they're always doing some shenanigans. They've been a little, you know, a little, little little crazy lately with some of this some of this talk you guys got going on live music and so forth but uh you know also some other stuff that we don't want to talk about here that have to do with uncomfortable places to get certain things i think you need to check them out for that that was an interesting listen if you're watching on youtube though subscribe like you know comment all that good stuff if you're listening in the podcasting world subscribe rate and review all that good stuff it really helps us grow and brad is back and Honestly, man, I'm I'm excited. I'm happy that you're safe. I'm sure your family's happy that you're safe too. And we will talk to everybody next week. I'm the Iceman, and that's the coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice and Brad are those of Matt, Brad, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice and Brad is exclusively owned by Matt and Brad and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.